Christianity, and I'm, I use that in a big encompassing type of way, or the church, and I use that as, you know, the church, not just crossing, seems to make a big deal about a lot of things. Churches make a big deal, you know, um, about uh, how many people attend a church. Churches make a big deal about who attends their church at times. Churches make a big deal about the size of their campus, the number of their programs, the budget, um, the number of baptisms, the number of people who get saved, uh, you know. And, and one church, matter of fact, in North Carolina, they do spontaneous baptisms. At least they did. I'm not sure if they do anymore. In other words, they invite people, and this is a little bit what you'll hear, you'll hear Scott do at our baptisms. They'll invite people who maybe are that day to come down and be baptized. And so, and, and they want to really have an impact. So people who've been thinking about it, or maybe someone who I've been thinking about, and they invite them in the service to do that. The, the sketchy part of all that is, is they have lined up people in the congregation who are already going to get up and come down. It's kind of like a tip jar. You put a dollar in it so people know what to do, you know. And it just takes away a little bit of the spontaneity when you have plants in the church who are going to do what you want them to do, you know. And it leaves me and many, many others with kind of like going, (laughs) is this really about spontaneity or about lots of baptisms? Churches do these kind of things. Westboro Baptist, that church that pickets funerals, you know what? Hear me when I say this. And there are only, there's only a couple of people that I call out by name and all. But let me just say this. About that place, that is a name on a group of people, but it does not represent Christ. But many people associate Christ with them. But they make a big deal about what they do. There is nothing about them that is Christ-like or honoring to the Lord. There's a pastor in the South recently that asked his people to donate to his personal jet fund of $70 million. And they were doing it. There is very little about that that is about Christ. The whole God wants you to be more than you are today movement, the teaching that God wants what is best for you to to develop you to your full potential, How do you think John the Baptist felt about that particular message? Because that was not the message that he got. That was not the message that he was preaching. That was not the message that Christ preached about him as he was beheaded for honoring and serving the Lord. Harold Camping's repeated announcements about the end of the world and the financial gain that he enjoyed in the midst of all that. All of these kind of things, you know, our movements, or whatever they are, they leave the listener and those watching thinking very little about Jesus. But we know a lot about those men, about the preacher, about their jet, their numbers, whatever the case may be. All of that stuff... All of that takes away from Jesus. Now, having said all that, I have to just let you know that it is, it is well within my reach to do the same thing. It is well within all of our reach, probably, safe to say. But I know recently when I was doing the devotionals at uh, summer camp for our staff, 
that I found myself one day really making much more of myself than I did of the Lord. And I, he was really, he, he really challenged me on that, the Lord did that day. And I had to repent and tell the staff that I had done that and, and just confess that to them. So it's not beyond any of us to do it, sometimes in small ways with a group of, of eight or nine, or sometimes in front of the whole world, like some of these guys have done. But it is not uncommon for us to try and take away from Christ the attention that he should receive and to redirect it onto ourselves in some way or another. And so that's exactly what was happening to the church in Colossians, or to Colossae. They had been involved in heresy through the Gnostics. And, and we don't know the, all the details to it, but we do know that this, the response that Paul's writing very much He's addressing taking the attention away from God and away from Christ and putting it elsewhere. And so um, he, is, he writes this book, and in many places, in the first two chapters especially, he is talking about keeping Christ first. And you're going to see that in our passage today. You're going to see that in our passage for next week, and then probably the third week as well. And so... Um, In our text today, we want to read from, chapter, from verse 9 to 12. I'm reading from the New American Standard, okay? So here we go. For this reason also, since the day we heard of it, we have not ceased to pray for you and to ask that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding so that you will walk in a manner worthy of the Lord to please him in all respects, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of of God's in the knowledge of God, strengthening with all power according to his glorious might for the attaining of all steadfastness and patience, joyously giving thanks to the Father who has qualified us to share in the inheritance of the saints. In this passage, there's one particular phrase that I want to focus on, and it's in 110, so that you will walk in a manner worthy of the Lord. What do you think walking in a manner worthy of the Lord consists of? Well, let me back up and ask this question first. In my mind, as I read it, I'm like going, wonder why he said that. Wonder why he felt like that encouragement was necessary. What are your thoughts about just offering that encouragement? Giving them that instruction. What are your thoughts about that? Talk to me. Anyone? 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 Talk to me, somebody. Yeah. Who said that? Yeah. Yeah. Said we don't do it our own volition. We need the encouragement. Yeah. The sense of we're not worthy anyway. Okay. All right. Okay. Anyone else? Okay, very good. What would be some of the ways that we would walk? What are your thoughts about walking in a manner worthy of him? Self-denial. Pick up your cross daily. What else? Grace. Yeah, yeah. Very good. Very good. Humility. Yeah. What else? Oh, man, now you want to talk. All right. 
Showing compassion, and then someone else, two or three, service? Integrity, Integrity? good. Do what you ought to do, not what you want to do, good. Bruise? Forgiveness, yeah, good. In this passage here, in, in, the, in the context of the passage, Paul kind of unpacks that a little bit. But I agree, it's kind of like, we need to be reminded, We've, I say this often, but we need to be reminded so often about what we are supposed to be about. Because left to ourselves, left to our church, it'd be very easy for us to become about us and really make Christ like the object of our conversation, but not the object of our love and devotion. You know? And so it'd be very easy to become like that. And so he constantly is reminding us. That's why he does communion. That's why he does baptism. That's why he's constantly reminding us, this is how you ought to live over and over again, restating it in different ways, saying the same kind of instruction in different words and different actions to bring us to a place where we get it once in a while and we obey. And our desire is that we continue to obey more in this life, more and more and more. But um, the one, I think the thing about this statement in this goal is about our daily living. And that's what he says when he says, walk in a manner worthy of the Lord. He's really speaking about our daily living that it's in keeping with the idea of making much about Jesus. In keeping with the idea that I never want to let that spotlight turn on me, but I want to keep it on him. And so, um, and that's especially true in the very next portion of our passage where it's talking about the supremacy of Christ. And so, what does it mean to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord? When we do that, when we're walking in a way that honors him, it makes his opinion about our life important. It makes his approval huge in our life. We are acknowledging that he is more important, more honorable, more worthy than we are. And so, he is important enough to impact the way I live my life. Now, you want to know it's really interesting? And... I I speak this to myself, but I'm saying this to many Christians in this room. If you want to know what we need to be like as Christians, you need to go find a baby Christian. Because they're constantly looking at their life and like going, is this okay? Is this right? Is this in a worthy manner of the Lord? They're evaluating. They're eager. They're eager to see transformation happen in their life. They're eager to see change. Too many of us have become very comfortable with right where we're at. What I'm doing is fine. He's pleased with it. It's worthy of him. And I have to say that when you look at the passage in its detail, and I hope you study it, you'll find that many of us will find that it is not worthy, that it is not what we want to be about. So, when our life doesn't begin with doing things differently. This is what I want to say. It's not about doing things differently. It's about being changed from the inside. Before we can express true honor to him, it takes something that happens inside. It's not just something that is evident on the outside. We talked about this a while ago, and it's worthy of just revisiting it. And that's talking about the difference between reformation and transformation. You might remember this. It's probably about a year and a half ago we talked about this. Because we're not talking about acting differently. We're talking about being different. And so Reformation, Reformation makes changes in something. So typically a social, a political, or economic institution or practice in order to improve it. Well, you know, that's how the prisons began. 
We're going to reform people so that they act different. And they'll have time to reflect upon their behavior and realize that it's wrong and it leads nowhere. So anyone want to vote on how well that policy is working out? No, because mankind does not think about that and mankind does not change on their own. Matter of fact, they might quit doing something, but they are not different from the inside. Reformation only changes the way we act, the rules we play by, or the life you live. Reformation does not change the heart, and it doesn't make you so totally different that you're unrecognizable. So, for instance, so it only makes you act different. So this is, you know, the reformed man. You know, he might go into Cheers, the bar, and everyone will know his name, you know, but because he looks the same. Now, he might not order a rolling rock anymore. He'll order a root beer. And he might, say all those, he might not say all those bad words anymore. And he'll quit turning right on a red. And he won't steal paper clips from the office. But those are just things. He's not different inside. And, and, so, and so he might begin to do some stuff that are right too. He might go to church. He might go to a small group. He might go to Bible study. He might make coffee. He might do set up chairs. He might do a lot of stuff. He might wear Bible t-shirts, you know. He might do things, but all that's on the outside. What's happened on the inside? Reformation is kind of like the, um, the little, that little scratch off on a, on a lottery ticket. Reformation is easily revealed. It's not very deep. But transformation, transformation, when that happens, people are totally different. And why are they different? Because their thinking is different. Their thinking controls what, we, what your will does. It controls your actions. Reformed only changes the outside. It only are temporary changes. Transformation changes the inside, and it makes lasting change. Reformed people, they find God to be useful. He's good for my campaign. He's good, you know, I, I make business contacts there. I'll find a wife there. I'll find a husband there. It keeps my kid off the streets. They find God for those reasons. Transformed people find God to be beautiful for who he is. Reformed people, they consider Jesus, um, they consider Jesus to be a helper. But transformed people, they know that he is life itself. Reformed people, they live by the law and by the rules. And transformed people live by grace. They know they've gotten it and they give it back out. Reformed people believe God can do the probable. He probably could do that. I'm not sure, but he could probably do that. And transformed people believe that God can do the impossible. Reformed people focus on the here and now. And transformed people focus on eternity. And in Romans, you know, Paul is saying this in Romans 12. He says, do not be conformed to the world, but be transformed by what? He doesn't say there, he doesn't say, don't be conformed to the world, but so make sure you act differently than the rest of them. He doesn't say up there, don't be conformed to the world. He said, and he doesn't say up there, like, make sure you do all the right stuff. He says that transformation happens not in your actions and not in what you look like. And by the way, don't anyone ever, 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 youth, I'm telling you this. Excuse me, guys, I'm going to talk to these guys for a minute. Don't let anyone ever tell you that what you look like determines how you love the Lord. We had that discussion a few weeks ago. Don't let anyone ever tell you what you look like is how you love the Lord. Oh, my goodness. How bad is that? I hate that stuff. Because you can be pierced, you can be tatted, you can be all that stuff, and that does not say anything about how you love the Lord at all. It's only outside stuff. 
because what he's looking for is the inside stuff. And quit, quit elbowing people sitting around you, especially on the back row. All right? <clears throat> None of that matters. He is looking at your heart. And that's why how you dress does not matter. How you look does not matter. He wants the heart to change. He wants transformation to happen. And it doesn't happen on the outside. It happens on the inside. It happens in our mind and how we think. Paul said that in Romans. Paul says it in Colossians. Look in your passage here. In the deepness of this passage here. Look in verse 10. For this reason, since today we heard of you, we do not cease to pray for you and to ask that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will, with all spiritual wisdom and understanding so that you can walk in a manner worthy of the Lord. How do we understand? How do we begin to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord? Is it by doing the right stuff and maybe it'll grow on us? Is it by working out about my muscle memory? If I do it enough, it'll make me godly. It'll make me look like him. I'll become worthy of him. It doesn't happen like that at all. The only muscle memory you're trying to do is you change the way you think. You change the way you think is what happens. So transformation happens, and we, become, we have a walk worthy of the Lord when our actions are changed, when we walk in such a way, when we act in such a way because of what we put in here. Because how we think changes. How we see our world changes. You know, this is the thing for us Christians. We have a really hard time of taking what is expected of us and keeping that expectation on us and not applying it to the world. It goes back to that whole rant, which my wife didn't appreciate, that whole rant about the Noah movie. Everyone was so upset that the Noah movie did not represent God. It was made by a man who didn't know God. What did you expect from him? And so we want the world to act the way we should be acting. We want the world to be acting the way we should be acting. Transformation is not something we should expect of the world, but we should be expecting of each other. It's the standard we should have for each other. And so where do we find that? From Dr. Phil? From another Max Lucado book? No. Right thinking leads us to walking. It leads us in a manner that is worthy of the Lord. Paul wasn't interested in what we knew. He wanted us to know, but, what, but if you look in here... You are supposed to know these things. You are supposed to have wisdom. You are supposed to have a knowledge of, of understanding. Why? So that you would act differently. So that your walk and your manner would be worthy of the Lord. Dr. Lightfoot says that the end of all knowledge is conduct. And when Paul speaks of walking, he is speaking of the way we live our life. There are three suggestions that I've read about, and so I'm going to offer them along to you to consider in this issue of wanting, this issue of walking in a manner worthy of the Lord, in this issue of how we think. First of all, we have to want it enough to pursue it. If you... You know, I do say that there are certain things about Scripture that I get caught up in and I kind of chase my tail. And one of them is this thing about rest in the Lord, this thing about resting in Him and letting Him do it through you, this Galatians 2.20 thing. But then you read 1 Timothy, and in 1 Timothy and 2 Timothy, Paul says he uses all these action words. He uses all these words about, about being diligent, about being fervent, about striving 
all of these words like that. And so there is this, this both and, this stuff that looks like it shouldn't be true. And that's the thing about theology and God that we should be comfortable with, but it's hard to be. And that's that two opposing truths could actually exist. Our two opposing thoughts, perhaps, could actually exist. And so that we could rest and we can allow him to work through us. And yet at the same time, Paul is saying, work hard, be diligent, be fervent. What is he talking about being fervent about? He's talking about being fervent. He's talking about wanting it badly enough that you're in the word, that you're pursuing him, that you're asking him about what he, is t- he wants of you, that you're looking at your lifestyle and saying, is this okay? Am I wrong in this area? That's this thing about being diligent about watching our manner so that we find that it is worthy or not. And we have, let him speak into it. We apply his knowledge to those things. And so it is wanting it badly enough. Are we interested in God's viewpoint? Are we, this is the thing. I'm sorry, Christians, I'm beating up on you today. This is the thing. I think that we're really interested in God's viewpoint a lot because I want to know whether or not it applies to her and whether she is abiding by it. I'm not always so interested in whether it is I am abiding by it. I'm not always as concerned about how that word of God applies to me. I want my son to abide by it. I want my wife to abide by it. I'm not always equally concerned about me abiding by it. Wanting it badly enough that I am asking him for his opinion about my actions, about my walk. Are we desperate enough to get God's leading on what we do, should do, on, on the manner and the matters at hand in our life? You know, there's that Psalm 37 that says, Commit your way to the Lord and trust also in him, and he will bring it to pass. Secondly, you know, secondly, give God control. Don't pray to be filled with God's will if you don't want to do it. Don't pray to know his will if you just want to tell someone else about it but don't want to do it. Give him a blank piece of paper and allow him to write it out for you and give him the control. And one other step, one other step would be that when he gives you that instruction that you follow. We studied this a lot when we were going through the um, uh, Blackaby materials about that when he instructs us, when we find that leading, when we find that instruction, we find that, that time of stepping forward and following him and obeying him, that if we don't do it, it, it hinders us. But each time we step forward and we obey him, he opens up more. And so thy word is a lamp unto my feet. Well, what he's saying to us is, is that he's not showing me what's down there. He's showing me what is right here. And I'm never going to get down there unless I take this step right here. And so unless I obey him with each and every step, I never make any progress on my spiritual walk. And so many of us in this room are way back here. Let, let's just say that, let's just say that like, remember this is the line? The line represents salvation, right? Okay, some of us are right here. We've been saved for 15 years. We've been saved for 18 years. And the reason we have not moved along that line toward maturity is because, well, I don't know, that one thing he told me to do one time, I just, I just can't see that ever be God's will. I know it really seemed like that's what he wanted me to do, but I'm not going to do that. That's fine. That's where you're at then. You're right here. But as he says, 
take this next step, as his word reveals the next step and you take it, well, then the next step is beginning to appear. And then, and then it just happens that way. The next step continues to happen as we obey him. But if we ever choose not to obey him, right there's where we are. So that grudge you're holding, you're right there. That person you won't forgive, you're right there. That porn you won't give up, you're right there. That's where you're stuck. And going beyond that is going to be like beating your head against the wall. I just don't know why I can't hear from him. I just don't know why he doesn't talk to me anymore. Because you have that area of your life that you've chosen not to follow him in. And he's waiting for you right there. Right there. And then when you decide to follow, he opens up the next step. And you see what happens? Is that if he is leading and you're obeying, all of a sudden your manner of walk is not about you. It's about him because he's laid it out in front of you. It's not about what you want. It's about what he wants. And all of a sudden if he is giving you a walk to, to follow and you're following it, then your manner of walk is worthy of him because he laid it out in front of you and you obeyed. The nice thing about this passage also is that it is a great way for us to be praying for one another. It is a great way for us to be praying for one another because Paul says he's praying these things. He says, I'm praying that you would be filled with the knowledge of his will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding so that you'll walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, so you can please him in all respects, so you can bear fruit in every good work, so that you can increase in the knowledge of God, so you'll be strengthened in all power, so you can attain steadfastness and patience and joyous thanksgiving to God. If you ever want a template to pay for your, pray for your kids, if you ever want a template to pray for me, and there's a long, longer list than this, but you know, if you ever want a template to pray for your family, then this is that template. If it was good enough for Paul, I have to just say it's good enough for me. I hope it would be for you as well.